0: Well, hello, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to share with you stories that empower you to do, to be, to achieve, and to impact more through your life. Maybe more simply said, live inspired. After today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at podcast at com with your feedback, maybe your guest suggestions for future shows stories on how this podcast has helped you live more inspired, or questions that you have for me. Again, send that email to me at podcast at com. And now, let's get started with today's episode.
1: Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national bestselling author of the book On Fire, He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live
0: Inspired podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. I'd like you to think momentarily back to your childhood I want you to think for a moment about the walls in that bedroom growing up. And if you're like many of us, you probably had some pictures or posters up there hanging up on those walls. If you're like many, they were probably pictures of celebrities or movie stars, maybe astronauts, band members, stars that you looked up to. Stars maybe that you wanted to become. That's pretty ordinary stuff. But if you're like today's guest, your wall was completely empty. There were no posters, there were no pictures, because back then for you, there was no one that you thought you could be like. There was no one you felt you could look up to. There was no one you felt you could become like because you felt completely isolated, totally alone, totally different than everyone else. And yet, part of the amazing aspect of our guest journey today, the one that she's going to share with us, is not only how she discovered her own version of beauty and perfection and acceptance, but also became herself a television celebrity, a massive online presence, a best-selling author, a mother, a wife, a leader, a farmer, an example to the rest of us. My friends, she is here to talk today about her 14 years on a TLC show called Little People, Big World. She was born with dwarfism, or as a little person, and has spent a lifetime embracing who she is and then vibrantly living her life as perfectly as she could. She has a lot to teach the rest of us about doing the same thing in her own life. So buckle up, open wide your arms, your eyes, and your journals as I bring on our new friend, Amy Roloff. Amy, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on.
0: I am uh, thrilled to have you on. Everyone I know follows you, follows your show. Now I do as well. And Amy, for those who uh, don't yet know your story or your hit television show, give us a a brief example of who you are and what you're doing today.
2: Well, uh, we've been doing this show for 14 seasons in my world, probably about 15, 16 years of my life. So the majority of my kids have been, you know, kind of raised on television and the one thing I can be so, so thankful and proud of as a mom is that they're all great kids, meaning their feet are planted, they've got a good sense of life and you know, they're they're enjoying what they're doing, they're making an impact, they're starting families and all of that stuff because as a mom, you know, sometimes, you know, families and individuals can get lost in this whole T V thing and I'm just so glad that um, they've got a good head on their shoulders. But where I'm at right now in my life is that I'm divorced. Uh, that was not a pleasant experience, not something that um, I you know, would want anyone to have to go through, but unfortunately sometimes it's necessary. But I am divorced. I'm a single mom, trying a uh, single woman, trying to figure it out. And how do you start over at mm. the age that I'm at when the majority of your life has been doing reality TV. <laughs> and so I've been into a lot of projects, just, you know, starting my own online business. I've written a book, which mm-hmm. I'm kind of... It's scary when you write a book, um, sharing another side of your life that people haven't been able to see or, or, you know, open the door or peek through a window on. And But I think because I've been on television for so long, I wanted to really share... That there was a lot that happened before, you you know everyone got to right. see me on the show, and um, I'm thankful that I'm still here. It was, it was a struggle. It was great. Uh, there wasn't any traumatic event that happened in my life, but um, but it was a lot. It was a lot for me, is what I probably should say.
0: You talk about not having a traumatic event, and I would imagine though many of our listeners would suggest that growing up as a little person, that going through life. As a little person, in and of itself, is a bit of a traumatic event, and I, I I think what you're doing today is remarkable, and what you've done over the last 14 seasons and 16 years of your life. But I'd like to even go back farther because what TLC does not cover as effectively, because how can it, is your life as a child, being born into this world, born into this family, born into this life that is now yours in the great state of Michigan. So, take us back to the to the journey of a little Amy growing up in Michigan.
2: Well, the one thing years ago, I always asked my mom and dad, you know, what did you think? Mm. You know, suddenly uh, uh, my two older sisters were born, and then four years later, I am born. And, you know, back in that day, there wasn't a slew of information out there in regards to a lot of children facing, you know, physical challenges or disabilities or, you know, whatever it may be. And I can't imagine how suddenly shocking that would have been for my parents to say, what do we do? Wait a minute, this is a a dwarf, a little person baby? Like, how are we going to raise this person? But I was very thankful for what they shared to me in the sense that the doctor knew right away. And even today, sometimes doctors question, because I think they want to have it so exactly right as to what kind of dwarfism a child may be. And so, but their doctors said, yeah, you know, you, you have a dwarf uh, baby girl, and most likely she should grow up just like any of your other kids. There's definitely some, you know, health and medical things that could go through, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, my mom, I think as a mom, was very emotional, very scared, very like, how are we going to raise this child? And my dad, being the engineer, Ford Motor Company kind of practical guy, mm-hmm. said, we'll raise her just like we're raising, you know, her sister's. And um, I can really give a lot of credit to my parents because one thing I am grateful for is they didn't cater to me, Mm. they didn't baby me, they didn't pamper me, you know, oh my gosh, you know, we've got a daughter that's challenged, you know, she might run into problems, we're going to have to pave the way for her. And so in my house that I grew up in, none of it was catered to me, Mm. Uh, meaning, you know, they didn't like lower the rotary phone, it was attached to the wall. They didn't lower it down for me because it would be easier for me. They kept it there and said, well, climb the stool and get it, or put the plates and the silverware in the lower drawers. They kept it up high because that was, you know, regular, normal household. And it wasn't that they didn't care. They, they, They didn't have empathy for me. But what I got out of that is that my whole life is going to be how do I adapt, at least in my physical environment, learning how to ask for help. And that took a long time for me to do because I wanted to be independent. I didn't want people to think that I needed help and I couldn't do it and I needed them to get where I wanted to go or do the things that I wanted to do. So I'd really have to give a lot of credit to my parents. But in those years, I did have a hard time not wanting to be anybody else, but wanting what I perceived other people have. And those other people were average sized people my friends and everything, I thought, man, how easy it is just to walk in the store and reach whatever you want or get on a bike and ride a bike or even run. Yes, I ran, but just running like other people, just participating in games and sports, especially friends. When I walked in the room, it's not like people run up to you, oh yeah, hey, Amy, you know, we want to be your best friend now Mm -hmm. and everything. There's definitely that hesitation. There's that talking to other friends. Oh yeah, who is she? What is she like? Is she different? Is she weird? Is she mm-hmm. you know, she's scary looking or whatever like that. And so my whole life or a lot of it was I I was a people pleaser. I did my best to try and be like somebody else. And I think that was probably one of my most damaging things that I did to myself. Not really liking me, not really appreciating me, not really understanding what do you want, Amy? The biggest thing that I write in my book is is a story that changed my life. It was something that my father said. I did not want to go to first grade. And I thought these kids are gonna make fun of me. They're gonna call me names, they're not gonna to wanna to play with me. Like, you know, how 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 are people gonna to respond to them? And so I refused to go. And back in that day my mother had just started a job, this is back in the late sixties, early seventies. And for women to go back to work or even have a career, was just starting to happen. And so later on in years, I thought, man, my mom really accomplished a lot because she wanted to work. She wanted to get out. She wanted to do something. And overall, that was one of the best things because I wouldn't call my mom an at-home mom. She was a better mom because she got to do what she wanted to do as well. My dad had to come home from work. And for a man... To, you know, tell his work that, sorry, I've got a personal problem at home. I got to take care of one of my kids (laughs) was very unusual back in that day, I think, as well. He came home and he has his emotional temper tantrum, crying hysterically little daughter because, quote, she doesn't want to go to school. How my father responded to me as I thought about it over the years was huge as well. He wasn't angry. He wasn't mad. He didn't yell. He didn't say, just yank my hand and take me to school. He just really said, yeah, you know what, Amy? You are absolutely right. There are going to be kids that call you names. There are going to be kids that don't like you. But if you don't go to school, you don't have the choice to decide on who you want to be friends. And then I was raised in a very, you know, faith-based family. And he said, but you know what? God doesn't make mistakes you are who you are supposed to be, a dwarf, a little person. He loves you. Your mom and dad love you. And not that it suddenly made life easier for me, but it gave me something to always go back to. And I have gone back to that all of my life. There have been moments, unfortunately, like in junior high and, and when I had a childhood illness and everything, I thought, You know, why is this happening, me? And I definitely wanted to check out. In high school, you don't get the dates the guys liking you or the girls get into their own little space and you're always on the outskirts of friends. You're not like in the center of a group at all. And I always looked at it. It wasn't them. It was me Mm -hmm. maybe positioning myself in that environment instead of just letting go and not worrying about what other people think or what they expect of me. You know,
0: we, we have such a similar story in some regards of going back to school, Amy. You and I were talking yeah. before we started recording about how I was born at age nine, and you said, gosh, it must have been hard to be changed later on in life. Mm-hmm. Like You were born this way and grew into yeah. the woman that you always were, and I, I changed radically. Yeah. But I remember distinctly at age 10 going back to school dreading, how I was going to be received and dreading how people might respond to me. And it turns out to be this incredible moment of grace in my life. But I'm sure there were moments in your own life that were not as full of grace and not as easy. So I'm curious, looking back on your journey, how did the tougher kids respond to you? And then what was your reaction? Like, How how do you take bullying and redeem it or uh, to internalize it?
2: Well, it definitely happened throughout my life in, in school. I remember walking home from first grade. I walked home from school. I was all by myself. And I remember this boy. He taunted me. He, he was on the other side of the street. And all I could think of is like, Lord, just get me home. Because both my parents worked. And so it's not like we had cell phones and, and things like that. And I thought, if anything were to happen to me, what would I do? There'd be no one around. I was scared. And that happened several times in first grade and over the years. The only thing that I always did, I just never really responded. All I said was just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I never looked at them because I thought if I looked at them, then I'm engaging. Then they might come over and do something to me. And he did come over, you know, to the side of the street. And I just tried to walk a little faster. Like mm-hmm. I was bound and determined and I'm strong. But it internalized to the point where I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. No matter how, what I think about me or maybe how positively I look in the mirror, it all changes the minute someone says something because then it brings back to the fact that, yes, I'm different, I'm not like anybody else, and I will never be good enough reaching to the level of what I considered where my friends were at. That was hard, but I always went back to what my dad said, but I thought there's got to be something because... God doesn't make mistakes. I've got to keep finding what that something is that he either wants me to do or how I can impact other people later in life or something of that sort. But no, I instead of dealing with it, I never told my parents what happened. Mm-hmm. So I internalized a lot, which I would never recommend. I don't think it's healthy, you know, as parents or or anyone, to encourage kids to try and find a way how they can be there so they trust and feel comfortable to open up. I remember in fourth grade, I got in a fight with a boy. I thought, here I am, little old me, in fourth grade, getting in a fight with a boy. But because he was shorter than all the other boys, he often taunted me so he could beat himself up, feel better about himself. And I don't know, for some reason, we ended up getting in a fight. And I thought, man, this is crazy.
0: Amy, I've had the privilege of interviewing actors and actresses and the types of models who have been on the front of magazines, and all of them have shared they struggle with body image. I think it's something we all deal with, male and female alike. You have you have some perceived outward challenges that you would probably, probably look in a mirror at various times in your life and say, gosh, am I enough? When you are doing this as a best as possible, meaning when you see yourself as the beautiful lady that you are and the beautiful kid that you were, what was it about those moments? What were you saying or thinking or praying that allowed you to see not what was not there, but what was?
2: You're right. When I saw all those girls talk and you yeah. know, they'll talk about wearing the makeup, all the clothes that they buy and having all the idols like the Partridge family, you know, and the Brady Bunch and, you know, posters up in their bedrooms and everything. It is one thing I never did. I I never had any pictures of any stars, any TV shows, any celebrities, or anyone that I thought, wow, you know, I want to be like that person. Mm -hmm. I want to be like that person. Because in my mind, it's like, well, I have something that always reminds me, for me anyway. I'll never look like that. I don't care how much makeup I have on. I don't care what clothes I think I'm wearing that was the style of someone else. I I will never be able to do that. I will never be able to look at that, and so I avoided all of that. What really did it for me in in moments like that, if I cannot look like that or wear the stuff that they wear, or at least just try and be comfortable in what I am wearing. Mm. I mean, I still wanted to wear bell bottom jeans, but it's like, well, by the time I alter it. The bell-bottoms are all gone. And for me, it just said, but I have to be good enough. There was just still some element in me that said, I'm here. I I think I look okay. I think I look pretty. I'm good enough for me, and I felt comfortable enough for me. That that one little nugget of a mustard seed or whatever you want to call it was the driving force that really just stayed in me. And I truly believe it's really what my father and how my parents raised me. Not all of it hurt. All of it was a challenge. But there was something in me. Like Scarlett O'Hara says in Gone with the Wind, tomorrow is another day. Right. And I thought, I can get through this day because tomorrow may be different.
0: I just think it's so cool that this little girl grows up and has no posters of Hollywood actors and actresses on her wall, and then she goes on to become the one that becomes this person. So all the other, in quote, normal, beautiful people have all these other people on their wall that they are striving to become, and yet you in time, Amy, go on to become – Perfectly, who you are always intended to be. I just there, there's such a, a beautiful <laughs> conclusion yeah. to the story around this. You, you go on to college, you graduate, you meet a boy, you meet him only four times before he asks you to marry him. Talk about this courtship between you and Matt.
2: Even though I wanted what I considered what every size people had. The ease of meeting people, the ease of maybe finding a job, the ease of college and friendships and opportunities. There just seemed to be these big, giant walls and mountains to climb or roadblocks. But I never wanted to be average height. I just wanted to be like everyone else, but as me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was kind of like this weird thing that I was going through. When I became part of the Little People of America organization, I looked at that community and said, there's no way that I look like any of these people. Mm. I mean, they look different. They don't look like me. And it took me a long time to even embrace that community because in my world, it was like, I didn't feel like I fit in the little people world. I didn't fit in the average size world. So I was in this no man's area and I really did a disservice to myself. Because there are wonderful people in the little people community. They're fighters. They're independent. A lot of people have paved the road for a lot of us, people who are doctors and custodians. And, I mean, we're just like everybody else. But I looked at them and felt uncomfortable. I was looking at something, someone, that hit me in the face to make me realize, but this is how other people see you. Mm Mm-hmm. But when I looked in the mirror, I just saw me as just me and not in this shape. So when I became part of the little people of our organizations, obviously I met other people and other guys. I just always told myself and my parents, it wasn't that I said, oh, the only person I could marry would be a little person. Yeah. Because I always thought, no, every size guy is going to want to love me in that way. So anyway, I just thought there would be more opportunities to, you know, maybe possibly find that someone. So yeah, uh, Matt was from California. I was from Michigan. We met in 85 at a national conference for Little People of America that was being held in Detroit, my home area. We only talked a few times at that conference. And it's not like, oh, yeah, man, he's great. Yeah, I want to go out there. And it took a little bit of time. We started talking a a lot about four months after the conference, and then I went out there. And Matt had definitely a dynamic personality. What he did for me, as well as a lot of other little people, was they didn't worry about being short. They didn't worry about being dwarfism. They plowed ahead and said, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to find a way to do it. Mm It really helped me with, I guess, my inhibitions and stop worrying about what other people think. Okay, so you get turned down from the job. Go on to the next one. Maybe there was someone better qualified than I was. Maybe it had nothing to do with me being different or a little person. Getting to know him impacted my life as well. And then he came out and visited me in April. I went back in May. He proposed to me and... We were married September
0: of, uh, 87. It, it, it happened pretty quickly. And so did, uh, the progression did. into life afterwards. You find out not long after you're married that you are expecting and you're expecting twins. And Amy, I'm, I'm going to ask kind of a, a personal question. When you were expecting babies, was your dream for them that they would be like mom and dad physically? Or was your dream for them that they would be average and, quote, size individuals? Or was it, no, nah, John, I was just hoping they would be healthy. And whatever size yeah. they were, I was going to love them.
2: I always wanted to be a mom. Here I am with twins. Matt and I had talked about it. And we just looked at each other in the sense of, well, we turned out okay. <laughs> our parents did a pretty good job. Hopefully, we'll take some of that. And, you know, we'll do our best to be parents as well. If people don't know, Matt has a different type of dwarfism than I did. So our percentage of what, you know, whether we'll have a dwarf child or an average size child is different than if you get, if I were to marry another little person with my type of dwarfism, which is achondroplasia. So we have a 50-50 chance of it being a dwarf child like myself or an average size. I just wanted a healthy baby. If I had a dwarf child, I would hope that it would be like I was. I did have a childhood illness, but it was unrelated to me being a dwarf person. I didn't really have a lot of the medical issues that a lot of other little people have. And so I was just really hoping that if we did have a dwarf child, that he would be just as healthy as I was and wouldn't encounter some of that, but really just a healthy baby. And I was just going to be helping them to be the best that they can be for the individual that they are. And then when we found out we were having twins, one average size and one a little person, then my mind went into the space, they will never be those twins that, um, you know, other people have in the sense of I'm not going to be dressing them up in the same kind of clothes all the time or I don't know what their physicality will be and how is Jeremy going to respond to Zachary, who's my little person, and then how is Zachary going to respond to his average size brother and... All of these things went through my brain. And I just hoped for the best and said I'm on a new road, a new territory. I can't really, like, relate to a lot of my friends. I had kids in an area here in the state of Oregon. I didn't have family. I didn't have friends. I mean, I literally thought, this is up to me. This is, I have nobody around. And it was really one of the first times that spoke volumes to me is that you've got to put aside any inhibitions that you have, Amy. You're going to have to put aside, you don't care what people think, how good of a parent you are, what you're doing, because these two are dependent on you. And you've got to be the best for them as well.
0: It's an an amazing story. You've clearly done a terrific job, not only with those two, but those that followed behind them. You start a farm, which is a crazy powerful good story. And I'll let the uh, yeah. the listeners get your book to learn more about it. The farm grows, your family grows, and then you get an opportunity that's going to change everything. Talk about TLC and how they first learned about you.
2: There was a lot going on in my world at that time. Matt, he had lost his job that he had for a number of years. So I had gone back to work. That terrified me because here I've got four kids. And we don't have that kind of income coming in. What in the world am I going to do? And he had written a book. And we had been on our local television shows. We had been in the New York Times. We, we have been in other newspapers. They found out from all of those other media outlets about us. When we originally got approached, I didn't want to do the television show. It kind of brought me back to first grade.
1: Yeah. It kind
2: of brought me back to my childhood in the sense of great. Not only, you know, am I doing all I can to have my kids, you know, with dwarf parents and, and with their friends and their families and school and all of these two jobs and everything. And now I'm going to have the whole public scrutinize me and tell me, you know, I'm, I'm bad here. I'm great here. I'm not doing this right. I'm doing that right. I didn't want to be on that roller coaster yo-yo of a life. I really pressured not to say, no, I do not want to do it. I want my home to be that sanctuary. I don't want it to be opened up. The show was originally going to be called America's Strangest Family. I thought, no, I I do not need that tagline. I'm doing everything I can to be a best mom and a wife and a woman and then, you know, have that. But over time, you know, we did a couple of pilots and everything. And then I agreed to do the television show. And so I was really glad about Matt's persistence.
0: Why did you say yes? Because it seems your whole life has prepared you to say no. You know? It's like the perfect thing to say no to, and yet you say yes. So why would you say yes?
2: I think a couple of things. Matt can be very persuasive. He is definitely a risk taker. He would risk everything because in his mind, it's like, this is going to work. Me, I'm not so much of a risk taker. And so I thought, well, if I'm not so much of a risk taker, together we can really make this work. And as we talked about it, we thought, you know what, we've got a huge opportunity here. Yes, we might go through some stuff. Like my father said, yes, the public may you know, look at us as Mm -hmm. this novelty, okay, let's see what the little people do and think of it as a sideshow or whatever it may be. But we looked at it as an opportunity. Yes, people see us as different. But once we allow them to get over their uncomfortability with that difference, they will see so much of themselves in us, raising a family, dealing with a marriage relationship, and all of those other things. And here we are on a farm and, and doing more than, you know, what other people get to do. I really said yes to that. I said, it's probably worth sacrifice. If sacrifice were to come, that we kind of help people understand maybe not only our differences of being dwarf people, raising average-sized kids and a dwarf child as well, but differences in other people, trying to break down that barrier that, yeah, it is uncomfortable when you approach someone that's different, whether it be a different a race or right. um, different physicality or something. But if you allow yourself to put away your own preconceived and just open that door up just a little bit, you'd be amazed at who you get to know sometimes.
0: Amy, you've gotten to know a whole lot of folks, uh, both directly and indirectly over the 14 years you've been on the show. What's been the hardest part about being so directly in the spotlight?
2: I think one of the hardest things about being in the spotlight is how much do you cater to a show and how much do you focus on your life? Right. One of the things that I told myself is that my number one job has got to be a mom and not to make episodes because I've got to be ready that this does not continue on. The other thing is really to keep myself in check because it was enticing. Suddenly, you know, all my growing up in college, where it took so long for people to say hi to me or get to know me, now I'm the greatest thing on the planet. Mm Mm-hmm. But then I also had to be careful with that because you have a glimpse of who I am. I don't want to be on that high pedestal because it's hard to come down from that. So I tried my best to really keep it real, you know, and I didn't always have a clean house.
1: Right. It was
2: disorganized. There was stuff all over the place because I thought with my kids, it is so much better to have people at your house and And, you know, just be real with them and make them feel welcome than worrying about whether a dish is out of place or I left my shoes in the hallway or, oh, I forgot to put that laundry basket away or the kids' toys are all over, you know, the house and everything. I, I tried hard not to go back to where I was growing up, even as an adult, catering to wanting people to like me. What was I willing to do to get people to like me? even in the show. So
0: so you're real all the way through. Are you able to decide what goes on and what does not make the final cut?
2: No, we don't have that kind of control. And even over the years, we still don't. What we do have, when a season comes up, in fact, we're talking about season 15, you know, just telling a little bit more about our family life, especially a new generation. Right. My son and his wife and everything will say, hey, this is what's going on in our life you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, Matt's doing that, Zachary and his family are doing that. So, you know, when people say it's scripted, it's not necessarily scripted in the sense that they're giving me lines to say, and I've got a dialogue that I've got to, you know, memorize, wow. and drama happens naturally, but I will say this, Matt is a salesperson. He, that is one of the things he's always done all of his life, even when he was a young kid. he, knew how to get people to do what he wanted them to do. That pertained to the episodes as well. And so a lot of times I would just be me and then he'd throw something in the middle of an episode and I would definitely be caught off guard and I would um, hopefully respond in a way that, you know, didn't commit me that, you know, he could come back and say, well, you said yes. I said, we were doing a such scene. You can't hold me to that. Anyway, um, so yeah, we just, you know, we we just go along and do it and say hey we're gonna Amy we're gonna follow you and your friend talking about your business or we'd love you to go out with your girlfriends and talk about this and this and that and I can either choose to talk about that or I'll take it in a different mm-hmm. direction because I don't feel comfortable with that and for instance going through divorce on television was hard unbelievable and and they definitely wanted more of that and I flat out told them no I said you could see us you know that we've got our lawyers you could see us going into the office, but that's it. You're you're not going to get anything else because yes, I know we're on a show, but there are some parts that you've got to hold on to yourself and that should be private. And this is a legal matter. And so after the divorce became final, then they wanted to go into a storyline of dating. Oh, well, we want you to go on a date. We want you to, you know, and I could say yes or no to that. And it's, it's, it's a logical storyline. Most People think after divorce, well, how are you going to get out there now? I said, I've got to face the fact that now I'm a single woman. I'm at this age. I'm an empty nester. There was so much going on in my personal world. I said, I can't think of another relationship right now. I want to just learn about Amy. Where is Amy right now? What does Amy want to do? Instead of, like I said, going back to first grade, wait a minute, I've got choices here. I don't have to go along with this. I can decide where I want to go with this. So I said, I'm not going to date, but what I will do, what's interesting to me is I want to get to know other people that are single, that are around my age. How are they living life? What are they doing? What are they enjoying? And so that's what I chose to do. And lo and behold, I met someone.
0: You put into a very bright light you know, more than a decade of your marriage, the the yeah. divorce, the breakup, the the new beginnings, which you call now the second act. Yeah. It's an amazing idea though of having your life tracked for you and mm-hmm. tracked for the masses from all of these episodes and all of these seasons and all these storylines that you've told and shared and been a part of. Have you received a note or a call or you bumped into someone in the grocery store that you recognize? gosh, that right there kind of made it all worthwhile?
2: Absolutely. I may not have recognized it in the first couple of years, and I don't know if we got a lot of that. I think I was always cautionary of that in the beginning because I looked at the show as, man, people don't. Don't, don't put me so high on a pedestal. You see a glimpse of me. I, I still got a lot of warts. I still, there, there's a whole side of my life that isn't as perfect as you think you're looking mm-hmm. at. And I guess it was a safeguard on my part to, I guess, not forget that I am different, but I'm still just as good as everyone else. But over those first couple of years, I began to realize, you know what? Oh, my goodness. I had an opportunity to share a story on TV with my family, and it's amazing how other people now feel like they want to share their story with me. The amount of people that I've been able to meet just walking and doing everyday life, women who have gone through breast cancer, I don't care if it's just watching my show just purely as entertainment, help them to keep fighting and get through that. We were dumbfounded the amount of people that wanted to come to our farm because it's not normal that people get to see someone on television where they live you know and is it real and oh my god yeah this is all the <laughs> stuff we've seen on tv and
0: well and it's stunning it's just a it's a stunning yeah. imperfect and perfectly lived life
2: yeah i think one of the biggest compliments that i take anyway and not the ones that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, the best, I'm inspiring. And those are all nice. And I definitely appreciate that. But one of the best compliments that I like is when they meet me, they don't see two different Amy. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest compliments is how real I really am. People will call my name and I'll turn around. And, and so I, I'm still honored that people still feel like, you know, they want to come up to me and say something but I understand how parents respond when their kids blurt out something and they're embarrassed over because they don't know how I'll respond or they don't know how someone else with a physical difference or something like that will respond. And I, you know, I just try and tell parents that they're be okay with that, especially if your kid is blurting out something that is really the truth. I'll have a little kid say, mom, why is that, you know, lady so little or so different or so whatever And I'll look over to that kid and they'll say, you're absolutely right. I am little. I am different. Because it's like he gets it or they're trying to process it through their own brain. I'll try and, you know, make eye contact to the parent and say, it's okay. It's okay.
0: Not everyone responds with that grace. So I, I sure appreciate you being open with who you are and how you present. And Amy, we have seven questions that tether all of our guests together. So I call them the Live Inspired Seven. So I'd like to guide you through these questions right now as we begin okay. wrapping up together. But the very first one is, Amy, what is the best book you've ever read?
2: Best book I've ever read? Feel
0: free to say A Little Me for a shameless yeah, self-promotion.
2: Yeah. I don't have one. I don't have a title off the top of my head. I'm so sorry.
0: That's all right. So we're going to go with A Little Me which, by the way, released June 4th and is a worthy read. It took two years for Amy to publish it, if you will, but I think it took a lifetime to create, so a a little me. Amy, what's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today?
2: As a kid, I tried different things. Now that my kids are older and they're on their own, they're shocked at how adventurous their mom is, and... And I'm glad that I never lost, Mm. but I made it better saying yes to you.
0: That's an awesome answer. Amy, if your home caught fire and all your little ones, all your family, all your animals are safely outside, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what's the one item you would grab?
2: I would grab a photo album. I would grab whatever photos I could get. Mm. To me, that's just priceless make sure I have my phone now. I've got so many photos on there.
0: <laughs> if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach or a farm and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want seated next to you on that bench?
2: I would love to talk with one of the disciples mm. and maybe even Paul. When we talk about in, in a world that we live in right now, where a lot of us are kind of inhibited to just express our thoughts and um, I don't think we've embraced disagreements well. Let's learn to agree to disagree, but still have that person of mm-hmm. value and that person still matters and has a purpose. And um, even if you do disagree with someone, it doesn't make them wrong or bad or any of that stuff.
0: Perfect. What's the best advice Paul or anyone else has ever given you? So what's the best advice you've ever received?
2: You've got to find something within yourself that you can hang on to to believe in you because we're always looking to other people for that acceptance and even more so in today, especially for the young people and wanting all those likes on their Instagram, Mm -hmm. Facebook, or whatever it is. But really finding something within yourself. If you were all by yourself, could you live with you? Do you like you? Do you enjoy being with yourself? and not always in the need of being approved or having other people around you. So to me, it's like really learning how to accept yourself. My motto in life is I matter. I have to matter to myself. I have to believe that I have value and I have a purpose. Mm. I cannot rely totally on someone else to to give that to me. I've got to believe it as well.
0: Great advice. What would you tell your 20-year-old self?
2: Why did you waste so much time worrying about what other people thought? You missed out on a lot. One of the things I share in my book is I changed. Um, I didn't really pursue a dream that I think to this day I still have, and that is to be a teacher. Um, I allowed a lot of what I would call what if. Well what if, you know, the principal doesn't hire me? What what are the what if all these parents? What are they gonna say? They're gonna think I can handle all these kids, they're taller than me. All of these things came into my brain and I chose a business route.
0: Well, you've chose to teach us over the last fourteen seasons through T L C yeah. and you've done a terrific job teaching, training, raising up four kids and now your grandbabies. So, Amy, it's going to lead us, I think, perfectly to our final question, which is, it has been said, Amy Roloff, that all great teachers, and you are one of them, can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read?
2: Oh, wow. I think something like, um, Amy lived an honest, real, compassionate, and loving life and people.
0: Well, she sure did live an honest, real, compassionate, full, adventurous. I think that's one of the things that surprised me most about you, Amy, and reading about you is how adventurous you are. And you've taught the rest of us that regardless of our shape, our size, our abilities or lack thereof, that we can do anything uh, that we are worthy and that we do matter. So Amy Roloff, this has been an honor to spend some time with you today on the Live Inspired podcast.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: My friends, that is Amy Roloff. I am John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live Inspired. My friends, thank you so much for listening to today's Live Inspire podcast. I hope you share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your letter carrier, your dog walker, that stranger seated next to you on the bus ride, that lady working out right next to you, the guy checking out in front of you. In other words, share with everyone that you're listening and that you are subscribing to the Live Inspired podcast. Together as a Live Inspired community, and yes, that includes you. You are part of this community. Together,
1: we can change the world. I can't wait to share with you the next episode.